Hello, this is Terry Waldo. The program is This is Ragtime, and this is show number 14 in our series. And today we're going to be listening to a few classic rags in various forms, from orchestra to band to solo. But before we get started with all of that, I want to play a track from our new album, I Double Dare You, which features my band, Waldo's Gotham City Band, with Tatiana Eva Marie. This week we just dropped a first single from the album. It's called Button Up Your Overcoat. And so in honor of this first release, I thought we'd play a track. Here it is, Button Up Your Overcoat. Arthur Marshall, as played by Masanobu Akemia's American Ragtime Orchestra in 1993. Now next we're going to hear a recording that I'm actually playing on, but I was guesting with a group from Boston called the New Black Eagles. And this recording we did in 1973, June 17th of 1973, and we were all playing at the St. Louis Ragtime Festival on the Goldenrod Showboat. And this was the first time that I'd set in with these guys, but we liked the sound that we played all week so well that we made a record of it. And this came out on uh, Dirty Shame Records. This is the same tune that we just heard with the Black Eagle Band playing Kinklets. Thank you. 
was Kinklets, as played by the Black Eagle Jazz Band, which I got to sit in on piano on that one. The album was called On the River. Next, we're going to hear a tune that I have recorded twice, and first time as a solo. And uh, this was on an album that came out in 1980 called Terry Waldo, Wizard of the Keyboard, and it's a medley of two tunes. The first one is called The Watermelon Trust, and the second one is called Corsica Rag. The Watermelon Trust was written by Harry Thompson in about 1906, and the Corsica Rag was written by Joe Jordan about the same year. I put them together as a medley. was the Watermelon Trust and Corsica Rag. 
later in the same year that we recorded that album as a solo, I had a recording session with my Waldo's Ragtime Orchestra, and we did the same tune, The Watermelon Trust, but this is in its full version. It is based upon the stock arrangement that was done for orchestras with some added piano solos in there. So here is that same tune, The Watermelon Trust. The Watermelon Trust, as played by Waldo's Ragtime Orchestra, on an album called Smiles and Chuckles. Next, we're going to hear one of my own compositions, and this is probably the one composition that sounds like a classic rag that I ever came up with. It's called The Yellow Rose Rag, and this was actually uh, published when it first came out. And this is the version I did for an album called Snookums. Here it is as I played it as a solo. This also came out on the Dirty Shame label in 1973.
finally, here is my Yellow Rose Rag, as recorded by my band, the Gut Bucket Syncopators. And this was also recorded at one of the St. Louis Ragtime Festivals. This came out on Dirty Shame Records in about 1979, when we had the whole band playing there. And this is from a session that we did at 5 o'clock in the morning on the last day that we were there. Frank Powers did the arrangement of my same tune, The Yellow Rose Rag. There you are, the Yellow Rose Rag, as recorded by the Gut Bucket Syncopators back in 1979 at the St. Louis Ragtime Festival. And now we're going to complete this program with one of my original NPR This Is Ragtime programs. This is program number 14 in the original series, This Is Ragtime. Hope you enjoy it.
This is Ragtime. I'm Terry Waldo, and today we're going to explore the music and lives of two New York Harlem piano players, Charles Luckieth, or Lucky Roberts, and James P. Johnson. On our last program, we traced the evolution of the East Coast Ragtime, or Stride, piano, from early musicians that played in the 19th century to such modernists as Thelonious Monk. And today we're going to focus on a couple of figures who contributed significantly in that early ragtime style and I feel have been largely overlooked. First, let's listen to Lucky Roberts. This was recorded in 1958, not too long before his death, and it's called Nothing. interesting to note that at the time Lucky made that recording, he had recently been involved in two automobile accidents, one of which had shattered both hands and had a few weeks before suffered a stroke. Yubi Blake was probably Lucky's closest friend, and he recalls Lucky's early playing. Lucky was the strongest man I've ever seen in my life, and not to be an athlete. Now, he played it. Now, he was a kid now. He, now he's, no, now he's a man now, what I'm talking about. Before, he, he only could play in two keys, see? I think it was E major and B major, see? Now his singers, look, he'd be playing B major. Anything. With B major. He'd play in that. Be in the song in that. But it would be too high, see? So he said, uh, play it low, 
law, law sick, but it would be to save Keith. So all of his singers being hoarse. Lucky's first ragtime hits were published in 1913, The Junk Man Rag and Pork and Beans. He finally recorded Pork and Beans in 1946 for Rudy Blesch, and this was his first solo recording. Gershwin, among other composers, was said to have been greatly influenced by Lucky's playing. For like Eubie Blake and James P. Johnson, Lucky wrote some very fine serious music. He wrote three Spanish numbers, one of which, Spanish Venus, was recorded by Eubie Blake, and the one we're going to hear right now called Spanish Fandango. Notice Lucky's terrific power and his use of such devices as a rapid ascending chromatic scale. This is a trick Lucky accomplished by striking two notes with each finger, a black note and then sliding to the succeeding white note, a device which took many, many hours of practice to perfect. This again is taken from Lucky's 1958 recording.
Now we're going to turn our attention to the acknowledged master of the East Coast stride piano players, and that's James P. Johnson. Johnson was a remarkably sensitive and well-schooled musician, but he was able to infuse into his compositions the emotional drive and excitement of black religious services and the Afro-American dance. A very exciting form of ragtime, he began to make piano rolls in 1913 that influenced many other piano players. Here's one of those early rolls, the steeplechase rag. Smith remembers the first time he heard Jimmy play. They brought the James' wife was named Lily. She was first married to a guy named Freddie Tunstall, who was a crackerjack pianist. He brought Jimmy over to cut me. Jimmy's brother was my pal, who was a sporting guy named Will Nevis. So Will kept saying, "I'm going to bring the kid over. I want you to hear him play." And believe me, he could play a piano. But Jimmy made it without being aggressive. But if he'd have been a little bit more aggressive. He could, have been, he could have become a great conductor. He was a great writer. He just, had a, he just had it in him, that's all. Jimmy had a certain spot. Jimmy was a guy who was very timid, but a great artist. He liked the alleys. He was a real alley cat. You know what I mean by that? Like you hit San Juan Hill for Jimmy, and that's it. No matter what joints we go to Swanger Jones, he said, oh, man, let's cut back on Fifth Avenue. You know, Fifth Avenue is where the alley catches to live. Lennox Avenue, you know. Eighth Avenue. All the holes he could find. Well, in other words, I got his philosophy. He always liked to kind of look down on the... and kind of go where the guys wasn't doing so well. You know, the people... What do we call it now, the ghettos? Yeah, well, he liked... When Jimmy wrote something, he's like all the great composers. You could take any one of the sectors that he wrote and it would have become a hit. Just like the Carolina Shout has got four or five parts to it and each part is beautiful. That's what you call all right. Thank you. 
was Jimmy playing his own composition, The Carolina Shout. It was written as dance music and invokes the feeling of the ring shout, an African dance that survived pretty much intact in this country and was danced in many churches in Harlem. I thought it might be interesting to contrast and hear an early band version of this same tune. This is recorded in 1921 and has James P. Johnson on piano. It's really a rag played by a band. Johnson was a serious composer like most of the other good stride piano players. He wrote Broadway shows, one of which produced the popular Charleston dance. He also wrote a long orchestra work called Yamacraw, which was made into a film in 1929. Johnson continued to record up until 1950, but he really hit his prime during the 30s. With a couple of great stride numbers, one was called Jingles, which we heard on our last program, and the one we're going to hear today called You've Got to Be Modernistic. Thank you. 
James P. Johnson, the father of the stride piano. On our next program, we'll be talking with Ubi Blake once again and several others about the public attitude toward ragtime and the musicians that played it. On This is Ragtime. This is Ragtime was produced, written, and narrated by Terry Waldo and directed by Jeff Mill. Audio engineer Bob Shermer. This program was produced at the Ohio University Telecommunications Center with funds provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is NPR, National Public Radio.